Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And tonight, sharpen your scissors and grab the handbook for the recently deceased as we enter Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands on this Tim Burton special. Hey! <laughs> that was totally accidental. I, I like really didn't, I didn't connect the dots that they're so connected. <laughs> Shit. Wait, yeah. Really? Yeah, really. I was just like, you know what's good? Beetlejuice and fucking uh, Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, they're both Tim Burton. Bruh. They're both Danny Elfman. They're both one another writer. Fuck. You're funny. <laughs> Anyways. I'm Murr. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. <laughs> Should be known though that Mitch could not make it here today. He is in South America on an ayahuasca trip. Mitch, we <laughs> wish you the best vibes and that I, we hope that you are thinking about us. <laughs> I hope your third eye is open, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Plays the hypno toad sound. <laughs> <laughs> Which movie do we want to talk about first? Um, I think we should talk about Beetlejuice first. Agreed. Um, and this week was my choices, if you couldn't tell already. But I, I really did just select them at random and didn't realize that they're like both Tim Burton. I made that connection like last week when you told us what we were doing. I thought that was intentional. No, I chose them because they're both aesthetically the same. Like they're both the suburban gothic. Oh, like, I wonder why. Aesthetic because it's <laughs> Tim Burton. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> we'll we'll probably talk about Tim Burton a little bit and like if he's actually a good person, but that's Shit. like later on yeah. in sidelines to whatever the movies we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> because it's not like i don't want to spend too much time just trying to rip apart his career but beetlejuice was released in 1988 and of course was directed by tim burton and it was written by michael mcdowell and warren scarin uh warren scarin replaced michael mcdowell because uh tim burton had some creative differences with this writer because the story was originally supposed to be really dark and violent and they wanted to have a rated R rating on it. But because the studio wanted something different, they actually lightened it a little bit and matched it to his comedic style. So it was for a larger audience. What was the rating on this movie? I, I want to say it was like PG something. But the dude said fuck. It's yeah, he did. Like You're PG allowed to 13. say fuck once, once or twice in a movie that's PG-13. Yo, what? <laughs> yeah, shit and fuck. I think you can say it like once or twice. And you only get that opportunity and that's it. Damn. There were yeah. so many innuendos, though. There was a lot of innuendos. Yeah. <laughs> but I could be wrong. I could I could be wrong that the rating is not uh, as soft, I guess. <laughs> um, Tim Burton was actually able to make this movie because of his success with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Wait, which is... he, made, he directed Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Yeah. I fucking love that movie. Damn. Okay, I just looked it up. It actually was rated PG. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what? So, like, the what is it? The MPAA rating system says yeah. that you are allowed, like, one cuss word in the movie, mm. and you can place it pretty much wherever. As long as it's not in reference to, like, oh, you're fucking someone, you yeah. can say you can put fuck right. in the movie. Okay. Yeah. Oh, also... No, in the UK, it was rated 15, which, if you couldn't tell, is 15 and up. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. They're a little more like, mm, you got to be a little bit older. Yeah. You don't, you know, I'm sure you could just get your parents to buy you a ticket and then go in and watch yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> like what? Like, my parents do that shit all That's the time. That's what I did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody I know, there was like, my parents just buy Or just me a get ticket. like the oldest looking dude in the group to yeah, go buy the tickets. Exactly. I mean, yes, I'm daddy. <laughs> John. Deep ass voice. John. What's up? Do you know the original name for Beetlejuice? Uh, No, I actually don't. Okay, so the original name for Beetlejuice was supposed to be House Ghost, but it was a joke. <laughs> and then the second name that they picked was Scared Sheetless. That's great. Uh... <laughs> but my, uh, what is it? Tim Burton got scared because the executives are kind of down with it. 
He they like, would be. They would be down <laughs> with that. These execs always suck. I love all the back uh, production stories about who they're like, you should do this. You should do this. And they're always like, nah, I don't know, man. Like, I should probably do something different. And we'll get into more of it on the films. But they had so many different people in mind for the leads of both movies. Yeah. That they just, they uh, like Tim Burton had a specific person in mind and he stuck with it. And thank God that he did or else these movies would have been completely different. Agreed. Um, it took a lot of convincing for, to make Beetlejuice. He had to talk to a lot of executives. They did not like the idea. They thought it wouldn't appeal to a lot of people. And uh, the original script that got brought to them, they're like, this is way too dark. Like when the couple originally dies in the film, they had a really long scene of like her arm getting crushed and it like graphically dying in the car, like in the river that they're drowning in. Yeah, that was something I made note of when I was watching this is usually when you have death in films, like it's very much a big deal. But in this case, it was such a no big deal thing like, oops, our car just went over the bridge because a dog jumped off with a plank that was holding us up. And oh, we just walked back into our house. It's fine. Very purposeful. They did not want to show a graphic dying scene at the beginning to like bum everything everyone out and they wanted to get to the more comedic parts i think it worked out in its favor yeah they had a re- they did a really good job or at least tim burton did of assembling a, a crew and a cast that were willing to like bring everything he had to life and um he actually had sammy davis jr in mind for the original role of beetlejuice which is crazy to think about how that would have changed the film because michael keaton is just so good as Beetlejuice and considering he ad-libbed so much of his fucking lines yeah it turns out that Michael Keaton ad-libbed 90% of his script I would believe it honestly he was just going ham that whole movie well (laughs) there's a story behind that so Tim Burton described uh Beetlejuice as like the character to Michael Keaton and so he went out of his way and he did the shock hairdo himself the mold makeup (laughs) the large teeth and then when he showed up on set, people were getting so hyped because he put so much effort into it. They started screaming, juice, juice, <laughs> juice, just hyping juice. Him up. And, he, and then he'd be like, okay, everyone, I've seen the, you know, like, <laughs> fucking, hey, baby, how's it going? You know, oh, just, man. He does so many different voices during the movie. I'm like, he was just ready to do this movie. And it's so funny to have him in that role. And he, he looks like he's just molding and rotting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the budget for the movie was $15 million and it made $74.3 million. Nice. So they got so much money, which is why they were like, do you want to make another movie? Yeah. <laughs> and then and when he went to go write Edward Scissorhands or work with the, the writer who made Edward Scissorhands, he got full creative freedom for that movie, which is why it's like completely his own work. Was that like one of his like first movies that he did? Which one? uh beetlejuice no he had done um peewee's big adventure and then um one like one or two others which i'd have to look at exactly which ones yeah but these are like the beginnings of his career that mm-hmm. really set it off because at this point this is when they were like okay you can actually make some money so why don't you make beetlejuice and then they let him make edward scissorhands and then uh right before that he did uh batman oh yeah that's, that's what right. really got them a lot of yeah. fucking like, money try the radical idea see if you can make money oh you can okay yeah, cool exactly um it should be noted, though, this movie won an Oscar. Yes. For yeah. best makeup. Which makes sense. <laughs> it's really good. It's also impressive considering they didn't have very much of a budget for their special effects. They had like less than a million dollars to use for special effects. The rest mm. was marketing and paying the actors. Yeah. Because they had fucking Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Jeffrey Jones, Catherine O'Hara, Winona Ryder, and Michael Keaton. Basically an ensemble cast. All these people were really well known. They're really good in their roles. And uh, they fit into these really strong archetypes that the writers had made. 
and it was uniquely funny and dark so it was a good movie to come up with and of course distributed by warner bros and then this was uh his like fourth collaboration with danny elfman who is just always making his music always making his music the fucking music in these movies is amazing yeah yeah i honestly love these movies for the music i remember when i was in a high school uh, and I was a, I was a little band geek. I played clarinet. Fun fact: we had a, a piece. It was an arrangement of Danny Elfman music, and I believe it was Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands. I think some Spider Man too. He did Spider Man, right? Um, one of the Spider. I think so. Yeah, we had to something else. That. I think like Nightmare Before Christmas. But like yes. his music is so iconic. It's beautiful, and it's it fully embodies what the movies represent. It's immediately recognizable too. Like when you hear shit from Hans Zimmer, yeah, you know, you know it oh, is that yeah. composer. <laughs> um, a sequel was planned but never made for uh, Beetlejuice, and for good reason. <laughs> I don't know if I could see a sequel of this movie. Okay, but what if I told you the sequel was set in Hawaii? I'd be down. I wouldn't like it. Come on, Beetlejuice Bruh. in like a fucking nah. in a fucking. It's like such a good standalone like... film. I'm glad they didn't make it. I just want to see them on vacation. <laughs> but it would have been funny as a cartoon, which they did end up making at some point. Mm, yeah, true. <laughs> they did made Michael the Michael Keaton voice that. I don't think so. Oh, okay. I think he did for some of it, and then they changed out whoever was voicing it. But the cartoon wasn't very successful anyway. Uh, it's just like when they do weird adaptations of stuff, and people just don't don't get it. It's like when they did a Men in Black cartoon. Yeah, and they made just, a Men in Black. Yeah, cartoon. you don't remember yeah. that? That shit was wild. It was like it was like a dark anime. Yeah, <laughs> but then but then you have like fucking Ghostbusters actually hitting it on the head because they That's could sell true. toys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ghostbusters. Dude, their marketing was like a crazy machine when they came out with those movies. Plus, it's an '80s movie, um, which is also like why you had certain looks in this movie, like yeah. the mom, all of the stuff she was wearing, like all of her her wardrobe and everything, and for Lydia as well. Oh yeah, the '80s <laughs> was definitely an iconic period for film. You had some of the best horror movies coming out of that decade, and then you have these yeah. wacky ass movies like oh, what yeah. we're talking about today. Well, this was like the tail end of the slasher film era, and yeah. then they were starting to get into different types of like subgenres. And one of the subgenres is suburban gothic, which is like pretty much making fun of or focusing in on suburban neighborhoods in the United States around the 50s and the 60s, which is why the the entire neighborhood, like in Edward Scissorhands, looks specifically like that. Yeah. I really like that. And I also like Winona Ryder. But everyone knows that. Ah, Winona. But, like, she's 15 when she started filming Beetlejuice. Yeah. It was released when she was 16. Yep. And then she was 18 when Edward Scissorhands was shot, and then 19 when it was released. These, like, rocketed her to the top of acting list of, like, people who they wanted in films, which is why you saw her in so much shit after that. Yeah. Did Heathers come after this? Which one? Heathers. I think so. We should double check that. Yeah. And then was was the other one? Girl Interrupted? Yeah. You seen that one? Yeah. Oh, that's a good Man, one. She's done a lot of work. Uh, I think uh, she's just remembered for certain roles because they were so iconic, but she yeah. has a pretty big filmography if you ever oh, want yeah, to go definitely. and look and see what she was in. Um, but, I mean, what was your first impressions of, of Beetlejuice? What did you think about it? I thought this movie was weird the first time I saw it, but coming back to it, it's just a really fun ride. The first time I saw it, though, I think it's pretty much for everyone. You're kind of confused. You're kind of just like, what are the rules here? What the fuck am I watching? But yeah. but it's well done, and the I really like the fucking stop motion sandworms. Oh. <laughs> the stop motion still looks crazy good yeah. after thirty years. It's like, impressive. I'm just like, oh shit, this doesn't look aged all that much. 
I think I had a similar first impression to the film. I think the first time I watched this, actually, I didn't watch it all the way through because I was like, this is just weird. Like, I don't get it. But I don't know if you can kind of just let yourself get lost in the chaos. Like you said, it's a really fun ride. It's just an enjoyable experience. You have all these crazy characters and these strange predicaments and there really are no rules. But I mean, it kind of represents the chaos. I don't want to sound deep, but the chaos of life. There really are no (laughs) rules to life if you think about it. Right. It also gets into the idea of what happens after you die. Yeah, which was an interesting take on it, that there was no heaven or hell, that really where you go is where you decide to be. Yeah. And it's also a weird bureaucracy. It's like when you go to the DMV and you get like a caseworker. (laughs) I mean, that might as well be hell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's a purgatory of some yeah. sort i love the caseworker though because she's like she's great if people think that there's an afterlife after death we got bigger problems well apparently there is a door for the lost souls which is what the guy says is uh dead for the dead yeah and essentially you don't want to go there yeah it's the ghosts who become exercised from the places that they are once staying yeah so instead of being able to stay there and hang out with the people they they get removed from their original homes it's kind of sad to think about actually. right isn't it kind of sad but yeah. i mean this is on brand for tim burton he's a sad boy oh totally. <laughs> og sad boy you know it's a really funny scene Which when one? they're in that dmv section and uh the girl up behind the counter is just like Man, if I knew I was going to be here all day, I wouldn't have had my little accident. And she oh, shows like so slit fun. wrists. Oh, man. She's probably my favorite character. I just love how sassy and matter of fact she is. Very sassy. <laughs> Although I would say that that might be a joke that is now outdated, unfortunately. Yeah, true. <laughs> but I mean, throughout the film, there's just so much stuff in there that I'm like, this aged pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's still pretty funny. Michael Keaton cracks me up as Beetlejuice when they first meet him. I still laugh way too much from all the lines he's saying. He like pretends to jack off at some point. He's like, check out this fucking guy. (laughs) Changes into his clothes and he's just like, come on, man, we're friends. And it just like cuts back to him. I could just imagine him. They're like, all right, go and do this scene. And the writers are just frustrated because he's not doing all of the lines. Yeah. He's just ad-libbing everything. I just <laughs> wonder how the actors felt in that moment, too, because obviously they don't know what's about to come out of his mouth. I feel like all of the reactions are kind of genuine to what he was saying. Right. Just yeah. spewing bullshit at them. Hey, like, man, right, can I have your wife? Oh, my God. It's okay if you don't want me to. How solid is this relationship? Do I got a shot? Oh, damn. All right. I also like that he walks over to the strip club. Oh, after yeah. they reject him and she's like did you build that and he's like i didn't build that because <laughs> it's his little like model town yeah. that he built on top of there so i want to go funny. to that club that looks like fun <laughs> but on that note what do you guys think about the acting was it too melodramatic was it perfect for like that weird dark comedy i think for what it was it was perfect because yeah. i feel like if they had some serious acting going on in the strange predicaments they were in it would have been just a weird clash but the melodramaticness kind of added to that whimsical element that's so prevalent in all of tim burton's films yeah they're all very much a strong archetype and they play into it really strongly uh i think the overacting not overacting but like just the reaction of michael keaton because it yeah it is his favorite role yeah I think it just like summed up perfectly in that exorcist line where he's like, well, what are your qualifications? And he's like, he gets all fucking business. Super serious. I attended Juilliard. I am a graduate of Harvard Business School. I travel extensively. I lived through the Black Plague. I've seen the exorcist about 167 times and it keeps getting funnier every single time. And you're just like, it's just great. It's great. I love when he's like lived through the plague, had a lot of fun during that time. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's just those little snarky remarks in between his real lines and then his his body language yeah just what he's doing with his hands what he's doing i think it's great i also love how confused the 
the main wife and husband are right. about the entire thing. Like you could tell that genuinely they genuinely love each other. Yes. But at the same time, they're just like, what the fuck are we in, honey? I don't know, sweetie. Also weird to see a super young Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Yeah, just really he's so young. <laughs> yeah, he's super skinny <laughs> with his like big ass glasses that they put on him. So it ended up being funny to see both of them really young, but they're great. I love them. You know what's also? I mean, it's a it's not an underrated scene. It's it's one of the best scenes, but the banana song. Oh, and yeah. the the bigger guy when he grabs the fucking ice bucket, and you could see he's like he's frust- like feeling himself. He's like frustrated that like his body is controlling himself, but yeah. like, he's kind of happy. What too. a great scene. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what kind of training these actors had to go through to like, feel like, look like they're having fun, but also frustrated at the same time. Cause they're getting possessed by fucking ghosts. That scene was originally supposed to be them getting like held to their chairs by vines and getting attacked. But then they came up with this, which was much funnier and fit the movie a lot better. I feel like if you haven't even seen this movie, you've at least seen that scene somewhere. Right. Because of the the mom just starting to sing or Uh, or lip sync the songs, which is always just really funny. Full choreo and everything. It was... I think what I really like about the uh, the mom and the dad is that they're hilarious like critiques of the business people of New York. Oh, yeah. Where they're just like, look at these yuppies trying to live in the middle of nowhere. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm an artist. I'm supposed to be in New York. And is like complaining the whole time about having to live. Where were they living? Connecticut? Uh, Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somewhere out in the sticks, as she says. Yeah. And so she's just really upset and like immediately remodels the house as soon as she gets there with all of her artwork. One of which almost kills the husband. Yeah. As it goes through the window. That weird antler looking thing. Yeah. So Ugh. it's funny. They, they made a lot of fun of the like high end a studio artist at that time yeah who were usually making a living by creating these sculptures or getting into art galleries and things like that things that were very yeah. important to them real estate he's trying to like get people to buy real estate there i think that's something prevalent in a lot of tim burton films too is commentary about certain social classes and types of people you have these as you say new york business people which is very recognizable if you know what we're talking about and then you have edward Scissorhands, where you have the the 50s housewives yep. who are all fucking like all bored and gossiping with their hair and fucking snooping around on everything. It's great. Uh, you ever see Weekend at Bernie's? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I really liked too was that they were relentless with how the mom was. Like she wanted to get her way and there was no other way and the husband just wanted to relax. So he's like, fine, you can do whatever you want. Just don't touch this room. Yeah. <laughs> Let's her remodel the entire house. I thought that fucking weird just panel on the side of the house is the weirdest shit ever. But artist, you know? Oh, yeah. The little like kind of house thingy. That... Right. I was expecting them to build a room there, but it's just like a deck. No. Yeah. It it's just so like weird. a little deck. Yeah. Uh, art. I did see in the production for it that house was custom built for the entire thing. Like it was originally like just a very rundown house and they bought it and then just did whatever the fuck they wanted with it. And part of it was that renovation that they that you saw for the update of the house. Is the house still around? Like, is this somewhere people can visit? I think so, but I think it's restricted. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had I didn't really look too much into whether or not it was still standing because it's been a while. Yeah. Because this movie is like over 30 years old at this point. It'd be point. cool to go to, <laughs> though. I'd take a road trip out to Connecticut. If yeah. It, was it actually in Connecticut? Or... It probably wasn't. Yeah. Just because they never do. What was the film we saw? Uh, Don't Breathe. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. supposed to be like in Detroit, I think. 
and then it ended up being shot like another country <laughs> so you're just like oh okay so it's like why not just go? okay whatever but they weren't too concerned with well, it they, they had this, a smaller budget they did the same thing with uh, the girl that walks alone at night well, yeah it's supposed to be like in the middle east but it's shot in la or something like yeah. that yeah well that makes sense because of the filming restrictions in the country yeah right? but in this case yeah, they they were just like, we need to find an open area that we can do things like this. And it made sense. But I mean, besides the mom, how did you guys feel about the other characters? The dad, Lydia, who's just an oh, emo the whole I movie. I love her. I feel like that's where all the emo kids got their archetype from, is that fucking movie. What's the weird or strange and unusual line she gives? I was like, humans seem to reject the strange and unusual, but I myself am strange and unusual. Love it snaps <laughs> i'm giving myself right snaps. yeah it just snaps yeah. <laughs> I, I think like 90s hot topic early 2000s hot topic takes from lydia's character a lot her wardrobe is great yeah <laughs> she she looks like she's ready to go to a funeral at every time yeah it's interesting too because this was filmed in what the 90s but late I feel 80s late 80s early 90s i feel like this fashion is still very prevalent today you know you have the giant sun hats the veils the dark dresses that short bang haircut the weird choppy bangs oh man her whole fucking hair i i don't know if it was actually her hair or if they just put these wigs on her Most but at one point wig. she has yeah. like a big beehive of a hair yeah, fuck, it, it was a bird's nest <laughs> that wasn't a beehive that's fair yeah it was like a bird's nest and it's just all wonky and she's just she's not scared at all to see them and it's just like what do you guys like under there are you gross like let me see and it's like <laughs> yeah. trying to pull off the sheet and they're like wait you can see it is it night of the living dead under there it's a great <laughs> reference yeah <laughs> and was just super interested she even took the time to read the book which they had as a guide yeah. which is interesting so like they actually did have a guide to what they were supposed to do after they die and there's like a little manual which they don't really read or they yeah. can't seem to figure out like what they're supposed to do, which is kind of funny. Hey, no one ever reads the manual. Yeah, but it's supposed it's like supposedly written like VCR instructions where it's right. just like, please make sure that you're at this point of connection with yourself and your spirit. And it's just like, the fuck does that mean? I don't know, man. <laughs> what does it mean? What does it all mean? I like when they draw the door on the wall and she's like, Did you really think that would work? And he's like, No, you gotta knock like three times and they go into the DMV with all the people who died. I love the dude who's there smoking where he's like, yeah, I'm trying to cut down myself. And he's like a burnt skeleton. <laughs> I'm here for the shrunken head, dude. Just sitting oh there God. looking Just at everyone. Just staring at everybody yeah, with his hunting rifle. But that made me think shrunken heads. How do they actually shrink the heads? Like what's the process behind making a shrunken head? Are those even a real thing? It is real. How do they do that? Uh, I don't know exactly, but it, it has something to do with, um, like certain liquids that you can introduce to like uh, skin and bone, the, but it's not necessarily like a full skull. Yeah, it's gonna be like pieces of stuff, but it's totally a thing. They do it. That's interesting. Maybe not anymore. I mean, maybe I don't know. There could be some remote village of people who still do stuff like that that don't want to be bothered. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> you know, but I, I love that it's still attached. Like he's like, it's on his body yeah. and really small. So he just has these weird big eyeballs as he's looking around and he's sitting next to the, to the wife and he's just like leaning left and right to like, look at her. And she's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to move over here. <laughs> I like when Beetlejuice shows up and puts his hand onto the girl's thigh. Who's like cut in half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, Hey, what's going on? And then of course the caseworker who's just hilarious because she's like, doesn't want to be bothered with it. And it looks like her throat got cut. 
Yeah, she was smoking through her little Yeah, throat she cut. takes a fucking drag and the smoke comes out of her neck. Good details like that. Yeah, it was really good. I think one of my favorite characters is Glenn Shaddock's character's Odo. Otto. The guy, the bigger guy that's like trying to get them to a point where they could sell stuff and have like a oh, marketing yeah. kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah. He's obviously the gay friend. I'm just saying. Right. He's like the gay best friend. <laughs> but, but I really like him because like they think he's just a normal, you know, New York schmuck. And he's like, oh, no, dear. I know the paranormal. <laughs> I know. And you're like, you're kind of intrigued about this guy because he, he's, he seems like he knows a lot more than he's showing. I would love a spinoff with him. I think that would yeah, be really fun. Yeah, I think it would make for funny. I think it'd be a good TV show. Yeah. For him, because I don't really know what he's up to lately. I haven't he's really dead. looked into him. Yikes. Unfortunately. Um, when did he die? He died. Oh, fuck. I could look it up, but they did play the banana song at his funeral. Dang. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was like, I wonder if he had ended up doing anything else after that. I'm sure he did a few other things. Uh, yeah, he just passed away 10 years ago on September 7th, 2010. Oh, wow. All right. But a stellar performance, nonetheless. Right. Yeah, I liked him a lot. I li- I definitely liked Lydia as a character because she was the opposite of what most of the younger women were in those movies, which was just, like, useless and scared of everything. She's, like, well, like, she was knowledgeable of most things and was accepting of them, too. And then they ended up forming, like, a really strong bond at the end where she wants to live with the ghosts and, like, they're there making sure she's all right. Yeah, like they were like, how'd you do on the math test? Yeah. I did good. And then, of course, the ending dance that they do. Shake Sonora. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where they, they, they're all dancing and floating in the house. And I thought it was a really cool ending to the film. Overall, the aesthetic for this film is crazy good. Like, he, he always does a good job of finding people who know exactly what he wants and then making that, like, come to life. Finding the writer for this and for Edward Scissorhands was, like, exactly what he needed to make these come to life for the script. Because the script's never weak whenever you see any of his movies because then you have that comboed with the aesthetic that he always wants for his films mixed with the music just it's a tim burton film i will i want to give a shout out though to the football players they're uh. so funny <laughs> coach <laughs> coach i'm not your coach i'm a caseworker it's like coach i don't think we made the crash <laughs> <laughs> i love that <laughs> no shit buddy poor dudes did you guys have any favorite scenes from Beetlejuice? Uh, the banana boat song, or just like Deo. That song, just like the song is stuck in my head because of this fucking podcast. And the scene itself is wonderfully made. Like, I, all the actors in that fucking scene, they just, they kill it. I don't know. They just do a really good job. They sell it really well that they're having fun, but they're being possessed at the same time. Right. I also like the sandworms because sandworms. sandworms. Apparently that was Saturn. Beetle- yeah. Beetlejuice mentions it at some point where yeah. he's like, don't you just love the fucking sandworms of Saturn? And you're like, wait, why does that door go to Saturn? Makes me wonder. Uh, sandworms attacks up by 13%. Ah, fucking sandworms. I feel like there's some sort of lore that spirits will go to the rings of Saturn. And that's what the rings of Saturn are made up of is spirits circling the uh, planet. Could be. I mean, Beetlejuice is actually like a star constellation. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like. It's it's spelled differently. Yeah. It's, it's like Beetlegeist. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, and then of course the name is pronounced Beetlejuice, but it, it's credited as the original spelling in the in the yeah. movie. So it's like they definitely had a connection to that, and they just wanted to add a little bit of space related lore, I guess. Space. 
which is pretty cool. Very um, with the times. Did you guys have any favorite characters? Like, do you guys were like, I love this person. I don't, <laughs> I don't want anything to change about them. Because Lydia was just one of my favorite characters in a movie. She's just so funny to me. The f- the fashion all the way through is just always something that appealed to me. I honestly just really love Beetlejuice. Like, the actor was so movie. on point for what this character is. And, you know, I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't more of him in the film. Because he's, I yeah. feel like he's just sort of like a side character, even though this is a movie named after him, of course. And it's all revolving around him in some sort of way. But, like, he's just such an iconic person. This this whole persona, the actor, the character, everything is just so on point for what I would expect from some crazy demon that's a bio-exorcist. Same feeling as when uh, um, when they came out with Silence of the Lambs and had Hannibal Lecter, who was only in the film for, like, five to ten minutes. Right. <laughs> and had just a really good effect on people that, that he was so memorable. I felt the same way about this where he's not in it very much, but you remember everything he says when he comes onto screen. And so it had that similar effect where they knew the sort of appeal of him would be enough to draw people in. And then Michael Keaton just knocked it out of the park when he came in to do the acting. I really like Gina Davis's character as Barbara. Yeah. I think she sells it really well as just being a very confused person, but <laughs> also trying to adjust and being like, okay, you know what? We got to scare these people. Let's fucking scare them. So funny when they try to scare the mom and then Lydia thinks that they're just having sex. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. She's like, stop guys. Like I live here. I'm a child. <laughs> I'm a child. And then he walks out to see the sheets and then takes a picture and is like, oh, there's no legs. And that's how she discovers it's that like, they're ghosts. Oh, hey, you're ghosts, aren't you? Yeah. Way too calm. I mean, she also has calm. that great line where it's like, you're not going to scare her. She's having a date with Prince Valium tonight. Yep. Yeah, because the mom is just taking pills. <laughs> Another reference to, you know, the 50s housewife popping pills. Yep. Drinking her wine. I mean, it's also the 80s, too. Yeah, People are doing true. coke, taking pills. <laughs> I feel like it's still prevalent now. I know plenty of housewives that are like that. True. How sad. <laughs> Someone check on your housewives, right? Right. Go check, yeah, go check on your mom. <laughs> <laughs> the last question I had for this film was, do you think they should have made the sequel that was supposed to be set in Hawaii? I want yes. a sequel. <laughs> I want a sequel because it's been, what, over fucking 30 years? Since we've had anything? Yes. It has been untouched since then. <laughs> That's the thing. Like people remember Beetlejuice. It's a it's oh, a yeah. it is a horror landmark. Yep. For sure. But that's the thing. We only have one minute or one movie, and then we have fourteen minutes of Beetlejuice. I feel like people want more, but I don't know if Michael Keaton would do that because he has Marvel money now. True. <laughs> <laughs> oh my bad. Yeah, he was in Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. As what was it? The Vulture. The vulture. <laughs> okay, but he was badass as the Vulture though. Yeah, he was that, pretty. That good. was a cool role. I also like in. that. Yeah, was, he did pretty well. <laughs> but I, I feel like this is a good time to start talking about. I actually had a quick question yeah. for you too. What would you think if they made like a whole remake of Beetlejuice? Do you mm. think that would be possible? I'm trying to think. Well, who would you star in it? I don't even know. <laughs> like, who, who would be the main roles? Because if you can convince me on the casting, I might, I might say yes. Well, Eric Andre is Beetlejuice. Yeah. Who? Oh, Eric shit. Andre. <laughs> that's a, that's a good choice yeah. actually. Eric Andre would be. <laughs> I was gonna say Hannibal Burrs, but that works too. <laughs> I still want Winona Ryder as Lydia. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay, but you have Hannibal Burrs as the dad, just like the dad who's just trying to chill. Just oh like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would work. I would like that. It's like, man, I'm just trying to eat my cornflakes. Come on. Dang. <laughs> That's cool. Shit. Does that mean you could put, uh, what's her name? Uh, 
Zendaya as fucking Lydia. Oh, shit. That actually would be a good <laughs> That would be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> we get an all-black version of Beetlejuice. Yeah, there you I'd go. I'd be kind of down, I'd actually. be cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> it would work. It would work. You want to know a fun fact about Beetlejuice? It's just a fun yes. fact. Oh, yeah. Totally. So, it was the first DVD to be released through Netflix in 1998. That was the first DVD that they were able, people were able to buy and get through the in-mail service from Netflix back in the day. What? That's wild. I, I forget that, that it was an in-mail service before it became an online streaming yeah, site. Yeah, they were really. That was like their beta test to mm-hmm. see like how well it would do, and people really like it appealed to them a lot. People love movies. They love getting it to their house yeah. too. Yeah, <laughs> convenience. It's the convenience of like why like what Amazon was built on. Yeah, it was like. Back in the day, you'd be like, I want to watch Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. And it's like, oh, it's not available on streaming, but I could fucking get it from Netflix via yep. mail, buddy. Yeah. We I get do, it in three days. I do miss going to Blockbuster, though. That was a whole adventure. Oh, Rest in man. peace, Blockbuster. Except that one that exists in Alaska. Right. <laughs> that one's know. still around. Yeah. You're it's now well. Airbnb. Oh, that's you, can go, you can go and rent out the whole store and stay there. And you can like watch like any movie in the store on their screens. I think I'd be scared. It's like some sort of sacred site now. There's probably the ghosts of Blockbuster's past roaming around there. <laughs> I have a, a Blockbuster card somewhere. <laughs> it's Jeez. like a relic of a past. I should put it in a frame. Just put it on my wall. That'd be great. <laughs> Only if people will get the reference. Your kids are going to ask me like, Dad, what's this? Well, Sonny. We see when you went to a sex shop. Back in my day. <laughs> go behind those red curtains. I did that on accident once. I'm not going to fucking lie. Uh, there were no Pokemon movies behind that red curtain. You're like, what's behind this little bunny symbol? Oh. <laughs> That's not a bunny. <laughs> I got yelled at. That was like when you went to FYE and did that shit. I did that all the time. All the time. Man. You're like, oh, I just thought it was funny. Plus, I love boobs. Who doesn't love boobs? That was pretty. I love that. <laughs> Anyways. Thanks, FYE. And shout out to Spencer's for selling dildos to 16-year-olds. Oh, yeah. Damn, damn bro <laughs> they really do though they really do they really Spencer's do. still around mm-hmm. oh, it's shit. in like rundown malls i guess yeah parkway mall i <laughs> bet most of the malls are just gonna die and now yeah the mall is yeah. now dying yeah you know what if it doesn't though it's gonna get a crazy resurgence and then you know we're back to the 90s again i'd be kind of down 80s. with that go chill with your friends hanging at out the mall. at the mall yeah you know, I did that, that was all the, thing. the time when I was younger. That was like the thing to do. I love that because it's also like a huge sign of like suburban kids. Like that's what you did because you didn't want to be in the neighborhood around your parents. So you would go to the fucking yeah. mall down in downtown. But you never actually bought anything. Right. You didn't, Maybe you'd buy food Because yeah. you McDonald's. weren't rich enough to buy shit, but yeah. you lived in a nice-ish area. You weren't like living in like the project somewhere else. You were living in this little nice suburban yeah. gothic area. Go get some ice cream and french fries at McDonald's. Life is good. Yeah. That's like what? Yeah. Three bucks? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I do. Fuck. Uh, what is it? I think In-N-Out is one of the places where their menu prices haven't changed that much. Yeah, they're since still opening really cheap. Because it doesn't cost them that much to make it. Yeah. So they're like, why the fuck are we going to increase prices? And they're prices? iconic enough that they know they're going to get business. Like, In-N-Out is popping yeah. all hours of the day. One more story before we go into Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Apparently, the guy who owns Costco 
and came up with the idea to make the $2 pizza slice was in a meeting with another executive who was like, we need to raise the price of the pizza slice so that we can make money. Apparently, the owner was like, if you raise the price of the pizza slice, I'll fucking kill you. And told him that <laughs> in the conference meeting with like all of the board members present. And they were like, we're, we're not going to change the price. I love that. <laughs> he said, fuck capitalism. Yeah, he was like, I don't give a fuck if we're going to make money on this. Do not raise the price. I'm like, that's hilarious. Anyway. People want pizza, man. Dude, that shit is so good, but terrible for you. <laughs> it's so bad. You pizza feel- party of the USA. Anyways. Nice. Yeah, I do love that meme. So how did your employer, you know, give you a fucking praise for your recognition oh and what kind of pizza was it? <laughs> I love that. Here's a pizza party. Show us, show you our appreciation for how yeah, much you so work. Yes, you're an essential worker and you know what? You get a pizza party. Fuck a raise. <laughs> the only thing, Fuck see, raise. here's the thing. If there's barbecue chicken pizza, I know they care about me. If there isn't, I might be looking for a new job. Yeah, if it's that cheese and pepperoni shit, nah, we're out. Here's some Little Caesars. Fuck off. <laughs> I was like every Christian club meeting ever. Pretty I, much. I only ever went to the Christian clubs for the pizza because I was broke and didn't have money for the school lunch. Anyways. But ah. that's the thing, though. When you have pizza, you need a cutter. And what better cutter than your own hands? <laughs> As we transition into <laughs> Edward Scissorhands. Like, did you just make an Edward Scissorhands transition? That, that was, was great. Beautiful. So Thank many you uses that. for his Scissorhands. I love that. So Edward Scissorhands was released in 1990. So it's almost 30 years old. Jeez. Yeah. Or it is 30 years old at this point. And then it's a gothic fantasy romance film which is a very specific like labeling for a movie. And it just included so many things. I think we agree that it's a Christmas movie too. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Just like Die Hard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll talk about Die Hard coming up. <laughs> uh, of course, directed by Tim Burton. This was uh, one of his other collaborations with Danny Elfman. And they both agree it's their most personal and favorite piece of work. Yeah, they both love this They shit. went fucking hard for this movie when I they made it. I love this movie so much. So many things in this that are really good. The inspiration came from a little drawing that Burton had made and was supposed to be a reflection of how lonely he was feeling when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. He just felt like a huge outcast and didn't feel like anyone really wanted to associate with him. So being able to do this movie with like complete creative freedom was kind of like an affirmation for his filmmaking, which is why he ended up making such a good film with Edward Scissorhands. He also had Johnny Depp in mind for the entire time that he was writing the film and really didn't want to have anyone else in it. But after making Batman and being given like all of the freedom to do it, they really let him go and he made a lot of fucking money. It was interesting seeing Johnny Depp in this character because I feel like his characters in the past have like major talking roles, very dramatic. Yep. And then having him as this like little gothic puppy, it was so cute so adorable there's just so many genuinely nice people in this film and i'm glad that he took the time to create these characters that you're like no there's still some good people in the world who are gonna help you like this family and this mom yeah who just loves him so much throughout the film it's great to watch the film itself was shot in tampa bay florida where they remodeled an entire neighborhood for the film including painting them all of the four or five different colors that you see in the film disgusting (laughs) But I guess it was based off his hometown of Burbank. Yeah. Also. I see that. Well, he didn't want to film in Burbank because he felt it had changed too much. Like there wasn't really that many suburban neighborhoods that looked like that. So he found an area that still looks like that. And you could actually convince people that it was an earlier time. 
And then he also wanted to give the aesthetic that it was all these suburban moms who were bored, not really doing anything besides gossiping with each other and like getting their hair done. Living in their nice little pretty boxes. Yeah, pretty much. It was definitely intended to be like cookie cutter. Like these all look the same. Mm -hmm. They're all trying to like find ways to fit in which is why they're always doing stuff like this and it kind of reminded me of like military housing obviously oh, a totally. lot more colorful but the way that every house looked the same everything was colored accordingly everybody mm-hmm. had like a certain schedule and routine that they kept yeah the men all left during the morning and came back in the evening oh god that's yeah. the, the women all stayed shit. at home and gossiped and had f- what they call fun while their right. men were away oh yeah it was totally like i think the funniest bit about this is that the filming of the movie created so many jobs in the Tampa Bay area that it injected $4 million into the economy and was actually a huge benefit for the neighborhood in the area that it was filmed in. So the movie was actually a positive thing for the area and didn't like, it's not like when uh, the World Cup comes to your country, it builds a stadium and then it's just a slum afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Shit. So it's like they actually gave them some money and then the budget was $20 million and it made $80 million. So they made their money back on that. Oh, yeah. One of the funniest things about it was that Fox originally wanted Tom Cruise for the role. They were like insisting that Tom Cruise be on the role. And Tim Burton was like, I'm not. I'll talk with him, but like, I'm not (laughs) going to do that. They also were eyeing Tom Hanks, Gary Oldman, Jim Carrey, and they even considered John Cusack. I could probably see Jim Carrey in this role. He yeah, definitely has he might that do very it. like outlandish way of his uh, acting yep. methods and just the way that he presents himself. After on a seeing stage. fucking Ace Ventura. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to that cannibal corpse scene. Right? Because <laughs> he's actual friends with cannibal corpse, yeah. which is hilarious. I love that. Um Robert Downey Jr., William Hurt, and even Michael Jackson were interested in the role i could see michael jackson but he did not talk to any of them (laughs) jackson's creepy enough oh man i mean at that point he could have maybe i don't know i don't think so no you're right you know tom cruise he's good in fucking interview with a vampire yeah. But only because he's the precursor to Alucard from fucking Castlevania. Right, exactly. <laughs> As like the, the pretty blonde boy that fucking sucks blood, you know? But Johnny Depp was his first and only choice, and he stuck with it. I'm glad he did. And kept him on for the role. They did not want to choose Johnny Depp because they felt like he was not um, a good enough actor for it. And so what he did is he studied a lot of the vaudeville stuff, like so early, early silent film era of Charlie Chaplin and other actors who were able to express a lot of emotion. Oh, yeah. Through the theatrics. Something that was really like striking about his role is just the body acting that went into this. He had this very like robotic movement to everything. And like the, the emotions that he presented on his face were almost like fake in a way, but very, very subtle. And that's really hard to get out of a lot of people. It was like. The, it's the hard slight to smirks. Yeah, the little smirks, the little smiles, the slight eyebrow raise, even though he didn't have eyebrows, just like the sad <laughs> puppy look he had all the time. Yeah. I keep coming back to the puppy, but like he really did look like a puppy. He was just sort of like this innocent character throughout the whole thing. Yeah, they. I think their explanation was that because he was so isolated, he just didn't get certain things like the like sort of like common sense for things like in what people's intentions are. Yeah, but he wasn't like dumb. Right. He wasn't like slow or dumb. He just didn't get certain uh, situational cues or like societal things that people were doing. It almost seemed like an illusion to people who are autistic because there is that certain social aspect that isn't quite connected with 
a lot of uh, people who are autistic, but at the same time, they're incredibly intelligent and very talented yeah. people. Very I do, imaginative, too. Yeah. Yeah, which explains why he was so good at all of the things he was interested in. He just made art out of yeah. everything he touched. All the art that he did. He did sculptures. He did the topiaries. He could cut hair. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just like all things that were incorporated into the film. I especially like the lines where the guy, where he gets evaluated and he's like, well, is he going to be good out there? And he's like, oh yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, where, like, why are you oh, asking yeah. me that? Oh <laughs> yeah. When the doctor brings up like the entire thing where he, how he just yeah. explains his psyche. Yep. Pretty much. And then uh, Tim Burton chose Winona Ryder because of her success with Beetlejuice. So mm-hmm. he's like, you're really good in that, so I'm going to put you in this and put her into Edward Scissorhands. That's something I noticed about Tim Burton is I feel like he reuses a lot of the actors. Mm-hmm. Like, he's used Johnny Depp tons of times. Tons Same with Winona of times. Ryder and then uh, uh, Helena Bonham. Helena Boham Carter. Boham, whatever, yeah. His wife, right? <laughs> yes. AKA Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah, that's all I ever see her as. <laughs> For some reason, he just likes having Johnny Depp kill his wife in movies. I don't know. What What I'm really happy with is they got the legendary actor Vincent Price to come in here yep. for a little bit. Oh, yeah. He's barely in the film because he was sick during time yeah. of filming. He was going through a lot of stuff with his health issues. But still he's awesome to a see legendary him. actor, and he does a good job as being the you know, super smart professor. He's been mentioned so many times on our podcast because he's just in so many things. Right. And that's the thing. I like love it. every time that I watched Peaky in the brain, I thought it was Vincent Price, but it turns oh, out man. that it was just that fucking voice actor doing a Vincent Price impression. Yeah. Yeah. He was doing <laughs> the impression. He was really good at it. That's too. The thing. You, you watch a random episode of Dexter's laboratory. You're like, I've heard this fucking voice. Somewhere. <laughs> right. Exactly. Apparently, when Johnny Depp first read the script, he wept like a baby <laughs> when he first saw it because he felt such an emotional connection to it. And this sort of pushed the idea that he was perfect for the role and ended up hitting it out of the park when he went in for the role and did the audition. And after the audition, he convinced all the execs that he was good enough for the role. And they made the movie very quickly. As far as any of the production is concerned, they really didn't have any holdups. They got through it very smoothly. They were all perfect for the roles, and Tim Burton put together a really good crew for it. So they're all really happy with it, and it ended up being a really successful film. And then the orchestra that Danny Elfman brought with him was 79 people for the music for this film, which is why you have so much depth to what you're hearing on screen with the film. So a lot of cool production stuff for that. And then it had um, a few other people. It had Diana uh, Weist. West? Weist. Weist. <laughs> Is it Weast? <laughs> West? Weast. Weast? Weast? I thought you said East. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great joke. Oh, is that SpongeBob? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like, God damn it. Oh, wait. No, I think oh, it's, it's reversed. East. It's like, oh, I East. I thought you said Weast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. But but what were your first impressions of Edward Scissorhands after like nearly 30 years of this movie being out? You know, when the intro hits... And you see like the mechanical cogs and the evil science, not evil scientists, but the scientist room, you know, it's a Tim Burton film. And then it goes into random suburbia and you're like, hmm, how's this going to get flipped? And then for the entire ride, you're just going through a little, you're just going through it because the movie is supposed to be seen through Edward Scissorhands eyes. That's like how it was intended to be shot and like portrayed. You feel for the character and you like the character. You like Barbara or what's her name? The fucking the mom that's so nice. Her name is like I'm trying to remember. But all I know is that like she was so Peg Boggs. Yeah, Peg Boggs. 
a fucking wholesome ass person. Just <laughs> really though. Being really nice despite working for MLM. <laughs> really though it's like here's this scam pyramid scheme that i'm working for i like how they make jokes about that too oh it's the avon lady knocking on doors again then i feel so bad for anybody that gets roped into those because they're so adamant about it because they fucking they have to be they spent all this money on these products they gotta sell that shit my favorite part is the first fucking like when she talks to the, like the larger lady She's like, oh, you've tried our products before. She's like, I bought it one time. And she's like, oh, now that's what they're throwing in the script. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I bought it one time. Leave me alone. (laughs) That's the thing, though. These people get roped in. I mean, there's documentaries about the entire, like, business side of an MLM. Man, yeah. But that's the thing about this, like, this movie, though. It's a satire of that 50s culture, like you were saying. But also a little bit modern because of Of that suburbia pyramid scheme kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it gets at the idea of, like, what are these housewives doing while their husbands are away, which is all they're going to really be worried about is how they look, what their house looks like. And then it's why they're so intrigued with Edward when he shows up and they're just like, what is he like? Like, them getting haircuts from him at some point gets into, like, is this sexual for you to, like, have this sort of intimacy with someone in in these moments? And then the lady who tries to, like, seduce him in the back room oh man and then ends up saying he tried to like attack her and assault her so it's just like there's just so many weird things about the script but also such a strong critique of this like social class that existed during that time i mean they still exist in a way that's true they've kind of evolved into something a little different but middle you, class you can definitely yeah you can definitely still find it in all of like the middle class but i mean this movie even watching after such a long time i like i super close to crying Oh, I, I, like, I so definitely sweet. teared up a little <laughs> bit at the end because I feel like with the character of Edward Scissorhands, any sort of like, I don't want to say outcast because I feel like that's kind of like a stereotypical word, but anybody that feels like there's sort of a fringe character of society can definitely identify with this person because, you know, I feel like he had very pure intentions of everything that he did and because he was so trusting of people, uh, he got t- taken advantage yeah. of. And then people completely misunderstood his actions because, you know, he was different from them. But in a way, he was so much more than these people were. It's been often referred to as like a modern Frankenstein story. Yeah. Because he was just so gentle with everybody, but always misunderstood. They even have a scene where the mob is like trying to chase him down. Yeah. And it's just like such a strong allusion to it. But I mean, this this also gets at what the whole movie was about in general. Like we mentioned, it's about isolation, like how Mm -hmm. Tim Burton was feeling himself and then made the Edward Scissorhands character. But what else do you think came out in the movie? What else is the Edward Scissorhands about? Because it seems to have touched on a lot of things, especially for, you know, parenting, for how they might feel about outcast, how they form like these bonds through the neighbors. I think something that came up for me is like giving somebody a chance is like you have this this strange broken character that you find right but rather than being afraid because of course she was afraid at first right. but rather than just sort of running and assuming anything about this person you take them in you give them a home you give them food you give them clothes and you try and like help them thrive and I, I really like that aspect about how we should treat people is we should not assume that anyone is a certain way because they aren't like ourselves if anything you have a lot to learn about that person in this case you have unconditional love and support that you learn from edward scissorhands because he just kind of he helped everybody with everything he was like probably one of the most useful people in this neighborhood everybody was like trying to get him to do stuff for him or stuff for them and inviting him to all these things and they really loved him 
in the beginning. They're like, wow, this guy's so useful. But it was also something I feel about men and women is how they reacted to oh, his character. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because all the dudes wanted to like get him into the group. Like, let's go play cards. Can't cut the cards, though. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, dumb dad jokes like that <laughs> there's so many dad moments in this movie <laughs> and then you have the women over in the corner just like hmm, i wonder what he's like you know one snip wonder that could do hmm, wonder what it could undo just oh like that's right all those yeah little, like risque comments a lot like of that. sexual innuendo yeah. through the movie and they really it, it ends up being sort of odd at some points because yeah. he is not like that really I don't think he really ever has a moment where he's trying to be like a certain sexual way with somebody. He's just confused. Like, why are you being so nice? Yeah. And then in that (laughs) moment, yeah, Yeah. he's super innocent as that character. So it's weird to see the women respond this way. And then the men be like, yeah, super buddy, buddy. But then anytime that they felt threatened by him, they were like, he's dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like a lot of men are like, is that they like things when they serve them. Yeah. As soon as they cause any sort of trouble, they get rid of it. Yeah. They don't even try to understand it. Pretty much. I mean, you even had the angry boyfriend. Oh God. Who is, oh. Hated that who is just like dude. the worst Wait, person ever. Biff from fucking <laughs> back basically. To the yeah. Basically. I'm pretty sure it's the same dude. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's fucking Biff. I hated that character so much, but I feel like he really plays on the archetype of the jockey boyfriend that always knows or always thinks he knows what he's doing, always has to call the shots, doesn't listen to anybody for any reason, will take advantage of anybody for whatever reason. Well, he reminds me of that trust fund kid that the trust fund dad doesn't want to help out. Oh, that's exactly what it is. (laughs) Just like. Dad didn't want to buy me a car. Well, it'll give you character well, if you buy your own. Yeah, he's like, well, fuck him. I'm going to rob him. And then <laughs> tries to rob him. This is why it hurts even more when you get to the end and you realize that, like, the whole neighborhood turns on him. And you're just like, this is the most fucked up shit. Like, everybody was just buddy-buddy with him, like, a few hours before. And then because you got false news about something and no one came forward yeah. with, the, with the truth. It was all from a misunderstanding, yeah. too. And, you know, the whole time I was thinking, like, why doesn't Edward just say what really happened? But I understand also because he loved Winona's character. And, you know, he didn't want to do anything to hurt her. And by exposing, you know, her friends, quote unquote, he would be hurting her in the same way. Yeah, exactly. He didn't want to kind of get her in trouble or go to jail. And then they tied it into the ending as well. Yeah. Where the reason why it snows there is because of him, because he Mm -hmm. just doesn't age and he's able to like sculpt the sculptures and then create snow. Yeah, because he's essentially like a cyborg. He's like a centurion. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I love the intro to his birth because uh, Vincent Price is using his Pee Wee Herman style fucking invention to fucking make cookies, just like in the (laughs) opening of fucking Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. And uh, he takes the heart cookie and he puts it over a little robot and then you just like, huh. And then you look at like the designs of it going through the final stages. He was supposed to have actual hands and I'm like, I'm conceptually uh, conceptualizing the idea he probably could have been like a Wolverine type dude where he has the knives, but only on command. Mm. You f- oh, gotcha. You feel yeah. me? Like he has the scissor hands when he needs them, but he has normal hands. You know, I think that's what was shown in the concept art when he was trying to make the prototype, but he didn't finish Edward. So that was yeah, the thing because yeah. he had a, he unfortunately had a heart attack. Yeah, that sucks too. He like handed him his new hands and then had a heart attack right it, there. It's so sad too, yeah. because Edward's like, Oh, we're, well, Peg is like where Peggy's like where's your dad where's your mom well he went to sleep and he never woke up he's just still sleeping it's sad too that he thinks of it that way that he doesn't really have a concept of life and death because he wasn't 
brought into the world in necessarily normal circumstances. He will never age. Yeah, and, and he will never die unless something destroys him. Which I is also cool because it gives continuation to his character even outside the film. Whereas like he's just always going to be there creating snow for this area. Mm -hmm. And it's just like you now know the origin story kind of. It's even sadder too because despite the way that the town treated him, he still gives them gifts. The gift of snow in the winter time, which is something that obviously doesn't happen in Florida. Right. I I wish that Winona Ryder's character, when she was old and telling the story to her granddaughter, that she would have went up there. Right. I'm sad she never did. Yeah. It was literally like right down the street from their neighborhood. I was, was thinking honestly, about that. It was kind of a funny thing, too, because you have like this cute little like suburban neighborhood and then you just have this giant fucking mountain with a ratty ass looking Goth castle mansion. on top of it. <laughs> And it was just like, yeah, you know, that's just the old castle. You know, big deal. <laughs> it seems sort of like a like a plot hole. Like she could have just she could have just went and said hi to him and like they would have been all right. But it's just they wanted to make it sadder and yeah, then right. like have that sort of dramatic ending. But to wouldn't it. it have been better if she w didn't see him after all this time and then went up but there, went up there with yeah. her granddaughter as an and old he, woman. Yeah, and he would have been like, you're still as beautiful as ever, you know, Aww. or something like that. Yeah, that would have definitely been a tearjerker. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll cry at the end of it if you didn't already cry to the end I of also whatever love, you watched. I love, I'm looking for the guy with the hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then she was just like, uh, and he's like, yeah, he's not here. <laughs> and then leaves. And then he ends up turning out to be sort of a good guy. Yeah, he like shoots in the air and then just like, it's over. Yeah. He just didn't want to deal with those fucking housewives. Yeah, I think it's more that than anything. But, I mean, did you guys have favorite scenes in the film that really stuck out to you? Yeah, when Edward first comes in in the car and the entire neighborhood is on the fucking telephone, just like, hey, did you see who fucking Peg brought in? I don't know who he is, but he kind of looks shady. Okay, I'll meet you at the corner. And they all go in the corner. And then as soon as, like, the husbands come, they all scatter like roaches trying to get oh into their God. houses. yeah. That was great. I also really like that scene, just the car ride up. It was like he was going to Disneyland, basically. Yep. Just trying to look out the window, boops his head on the glass because he's trying to get a peek at someone. It <laughs> I was feel really like cute. that was totally accidental. I yeah. think that was actually an accident <laughs> while filming. That's cute. <laughs> I feel like that's probably what ended up happening. But, I mean, both of them are just really good. Um, I, I didn't really go too much into how Tim Burton is a director, but it should be noted that a lot of credit is given to him, even though he has very specific people he works with who do a huge amount of work on these pieces. Yeah. So like the person who did like all of the stop motion animation, the people who write the stories and do screenplay adaptations, he just, he knows how to talk to people and convey what he wants out of the film so he does the director's job really well and then because the directors have so much prestige they take most of the credit for what you're watching so if you're ever looking at a tim burton film make sure you go and look at all of the credits and see who worked on it because he works with really good people absolutely i don't think tim burton would have been as successful if mm -hmm. he didn't have that army of people that he has in his pocket that are not at all for him. in the same way that um quentin tarantino wouldn't be as famous without his editor yeah, that woman, has, she does so much good editing for him yeah. that he would have never made the films he made without her sitting there to edit all of them. So it's like, take a look at all the credits. They're really well worth watching. And I want to know what you guys would rate these films. Oh, fuck. I'm going to give them both nines. I'll give Edward Scissorhands a 10. I feel like I can come to this movie every Christmas now. 
This is my first time watching it, and like I just fell in love with oh, it. Shit, really? <laughs> Yo, yeah. You know, fun fact: it was actually mine too. What? I had only ever seen like clips from here or there, oh but I'd God. never actually sat and watched it all the way through. I've seen this movie probably like over forty times. Like I've seen this movie <laughs> so much. Yeah. Is that why you're such a sad boy? Uh, <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Like growing up in the '90s with all these films, like yeah. these were films I watched constantly. Wait, yeah. do you have Cure vinyl behind here? <laughs> <laughs> I think I would probably give Beetlejuice like an 8.5 because I think it's an outstanding movie. I think like, you know, it's a little bit hard to follow. Not everything makes sense and that's definitely okay. But as far as structure goes, like, yeah, I'd probably give it like an 8.5. But Edward Scissorhands, like a 9.5, probably like a 10 because it's just, it's so beautifully made. All the, the casting was perfect for it. Everything came together perfectly. The concept was super original and very like resonant, I feel like, of a lot of people. And I think anybody could get enjoyment out of this movie. I give them both 10s. Hell yeah. I think I've only done it one other time for for movies. And it's just because this is like such a perfect mix of like your director, your writer, the music, the on the cast, the wardrobe, the setting, the aesthetic, all yeah. of it came together to make what these movies are and why they're so iconic for the times. And they're really fun to watch either on your own or with people. And just seeing all of it play out after so many years and it's just as effective is a good sign of good filmmaking. So they're some of my favorite movies ever, which is why I chose them. And uh, they're like not super deep. They're very digestible for people who are watching and don't have to like dig too deep into the movie to know what it's talking about while also having a good effect on a large amount of people. It's very appealing to a large audience. So I would definitely recommend go watching them uh, if you haven't already, because it's it's rare to find people who have not watched it. So I'm surprised that neither one of you had seen it before, which is crazy. So that's cool. I didn't know that. I like finding films that people have never seen or watching something I've never seen myself. Oh, and then like, like it's an older film or something like that. Yeah. But do you guys have any final thoughts? If you uh, haven't seen it, go watch it. Cue the banana song. Ew. Ew. <laughs> Six foot, seven foot, eight, eight foot, foot bunch. <laughs> I'm definitely going to put that as the outro song. That's fucking great. I love it. Uh, so before I let everybody go, I want to remind everyone we're super easy to find on all the social media sites. Just go and Google bringing down the grindhouse or go to our Instagram, which is BDTGH underscore podcast. And you can go to the website as well to listen in. We're on basically every place that you find podcasts. So you can find us on Spotify, on iHeartRadio. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And then we now have our new merch, which is out. So we have uh, two shirts that you Hell can go yeah. and purchase. Uh, what's, do we have the website like on hand right now? No. Okay. Wait. No, it's fine. We'll link the website and put it into the post where you can go and purchase one of our shirts. All the money goes directly back into the podcast for advertising and getting any equipment that we might use. Ah, yes, our Teespring. Why, thank you for bringing that up, John. We have two designs up there, one with a really intricate eight-foot castle and one with a logo. Yes. Which is double-sided. They're yeah. pretty sexy, if you ask me. Great for sleeping and great for going out in <laughs> yeah. Also, thanks to my mom for buying a T-shirt. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Woo! We love you. But thanks so much for coming out to talk about these two films. I hope everyone has a good night. Thank you. I will. Thank you. I'm Mer. I'm Christine. And I'm Jonathan. Thanks. I deep deadly black tarantula. Will I come?
Yeah. 